Hey, welcome to Access. John here. On August 21st at 4 p.m., we ask that you join us as we dedicate our new Family Life Center for use in the community. Also, we ask that you join us in prayers of thanksgiving for this incredible gift. Do you avoid church like the plague because of all the hypocrites? This is the fourth part in a four-part series called Why Are You a Christian? where we're going to be talking about how if we Christians are accused of hypocrisy, it's because we're promoting the wrong message. This message is entitled Christian Hypocrisy. Well, welcome back. This is the last part in a four-part series called Why Are You a Christian? where we've been asking that question. Why are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, do you know why? If you're not a Christian, do you know why? We've talked about God's morality. We've talked about coexisting with other people and of different faith backgrounds without compromising the truth. We've talked about how science and faith aren't at odds with one another, that they complement one another very well. And today we're going to be talking about Christian hypocrisy. Before we jump into that, I just want to um, remind us all once again of 1 Peter 3.15 where he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But when you do this, do this with gentleness and respect. We are called by Christ, by God, to have a solid defense. Know why it is that we believe what we believe. And when you have a solid defense, you don't have to get nasty. You can do that with gentleness and respect. But have you ever heard someone say the reason they don't want anything to do with God, Jesus, or the church is because of all the hypocrites? It's one of the most common arguments against being a Christian. And of course, it's not really a fair statement because how do you judge an entire body of believers from the experiences you've had from a few of them? That's like saying you're never going to go to another hospital again because you've had a bad experience with one or two doctors. The argument that all Christians are hypocrites somehow carries a lot of weight even though it doesn't really make much sense. But it gets worse. Not only do people avoid church like the plague because of all the hypocrites, some people refuse to believe that God even exists because of Christian hypocrisy. Now, initially, this doesn't seem to make much sense either. How does my inability of being perfect, or inability to be perfect and loving all the time, how does that have anything to do with whether or not God exists? It's like saying, because you're not a very good driver, I refuse to believe that, you know, that people manufacture cars. It doesn't seem to make much sense. But it somehow carries a lot of weight in our community. People avoid church and they refuse to believe that God exists because of Christian hypocrisy, really? Well, I did some studying on this from an atheist perspective, and I have to admit that it's a little bit more complicated than it first meets the eye. The argument actually says, Christians consistently preach that God has the power to transform them and make them new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. But if this is true, why do Christians seem to act and behave the same way as other people in the world? Why do some Christians seem to act and behave worse? Jay Leno once said, have you ever met somebody who claimed to be born again and you wish, wish they'd never been born at all? <laughs> there have there have been great examples as to how Christians have been some of the worst people in the world. And if God exists, how could he let his people behave this way? I mean, God allows his people to treat other people terribly. And just so we're clear, let's talk about some of the crimes that have been committed in the name of Christianity. Let's start with the crusade, shall we? The church pardoned rapists and murderers and told them that if you will go and convert Muslims, kill them if they don't convert, then God forgives you. Really? 
These murderers and rapists were set free to rape, pillage, and plunder every village that they came across. And, and just in case you wanted to know why God was allowing this to happen, well, God actually wills it. So if you want to know why you're being raped and murdered right now, yeah, it's because God wants that to happen to you. That's what they were telling people. And they were killing them if they wouldn't convert to Christianity. The Spanish Inquisition. The church held trials for its own believers, forcing them to submit and, and to obey and believe everything that the church held as true. If you don't believe exactly what we believe, well then we're going to torture you until you do. It's estimated that 300,000 people were put on trial, 6,000 refusing to submit and were executed in a horrible, horrible way. Take the Ku Klux Klan, for example. This organization promoted white supremacy, white Christian supremacy, while burning down churches and raping women. And if anyone of a different nationality, especially Jews and African Americans, was suspected of doing anything illegal, well, they were hung or burned alive. What about the Holocaust during World War II? The dominant religion of Germany was Christianity. Why didn't they step up and stop what was going on? Why do they seem to promote the extermination of the Jews? Oh, it's because the Jews are the ones that killed Christ. I guess they forgot that Jesus was a Jew himself. Then you have the Salem witch trials. Men and women who were suspected of being a witch were put on trial, and if their innocence couldn't be proven, they were drowned or burned alive. What about Westboro Baptist Church? You know, that's, that's a more up-to-date up um, sin against humanity. These people, while they're not responsible for killing anyone, these people, people claim to be Christians and promote that God hates certain people groups. They protest anything from soldiers' funerals to homosexual rallies and events claiming, well, God hates you. Why does God allow his people to act and behave this way? Why does God allow people to use his name to justify all of these horrible events in history? Christians have been guilty of some pretty heinous crimes and pastors are not excluded. Did you know that one of the most common professions that experiences adultery is a pastor? The same could be said for domestic violence. Many pastors abuse their wives. And you want to know what? They use scripture to justify themselves. I'm the husband and you're called to submit and do whatever I say. Many Catholic priests have been stereotyped in our culture for abusing children. Abusing children. Why have they been stereotyped this way? Because several of them have been caught doing it. What about the preachers, the, the, the very high-profile preachers that have condemned homosexuals and drug use but were later exposed by the media for doing exactly what they were condemning others for? What about the preachers that have been prosecuted for embezzlement and fraud? And not only are people being taken advantage of, but the one profession that should be the most trusted in the world is the one doing these terrible things. It's bad enough to do these horrible things, but to condemn others and then do the same things yourselves, to do things that were worse... That's, that's so much more horrible than actually doing them. We don't get to excuse ourselves from extreme cases of hypocrisy just because we're not guilty of doing those things. We may or may not be. We're, we're guilty of hypocrisy too. I mean, how many of us attend church on Sunday and look down on people who don't? And you have to admit, although it doesn't sound like Christian hypocrisy should have any bearing on whether God exists, wondering why God hasn't transformed these people, and worse, seems to allow this kind of behavior to continue as a pretty compelling argument against the existence of God. 
Like it or not, Christian hypocrisy is one of the main reasons why people avoid church and don't want anything to do with God. We'd hold Christians to, you know, we Christians, we hold other people to high standards that we ourselves can't even keep. This standard requires people not only to keep every single commandment, but every other commandment that we can dream up later on. Let's face it, Christians are hypocrites. So how in the world can we defend ourselves against this argument? What in the world can we say? It's true, isn't it? We cannot defend ourselves on this because it's true. Our defense, though, it doesn't come from logic. It doesn't come from having a compelling argument. It doesn't come from reason. It doesn't come from faith. Our defense on this issue comes from Jesus Christ himself. You see, people can accuse Christians of being hypocrites all day long. There's hypocrisy going on in the church. You're absolutely right. But you know what? Nobody gets to accuse Jesus of being a hypocrite. 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. You see, only Jesus gets away with correcting sin without danger of falling into it himself. Have you ever wondered where the Christian hypocrisy argument even originated? Where did that even come from? Well, Jesus was the one who first showed man the hypocrisy. In the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus gives seven woes to the Pharisees, accusing them of the seven different aspects of their hypocrisy. He says in Matthew 23, 3 and 4, So you must obey the Pharisees and do everything that they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they practice what they don't or they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Atheists aren't the one who began pointing out that there's religious hypocrisy going on. We have Jesus to thank for that. And the reason why he began this argument is to teach us something very important about ourselves. We can't follow the rules. And because we can't follow the rules, that should lead us to two very important discoveries. If we can't follow the rules, then we shouldn't expect other people to follow all the rules either. And because we can't follow the rules, it should show us how badly we need grace. When Jesus first used the word hypocrite in the Gospels, it wasn't a term that people weren't familiar with. Greek theater was prevalent in the time of Jesus, and a hypocrite comes from a Greek word that I can't pretend to be able to pronounce, but it means actor or pretender. Jesus takes the word that people are familiar with in theater and applies it to the Pharisees. He tells them that these, these Pharisees act as if they're perfect, but nobody can be that perfect. It's impossible for, possible for us to keep all the rules all the time that they were pretenders. Actors in that day would commonly wear masks and would change masks whenever they're pretending to be someone else. It's where the term two-faced comes from. This is significant of a pretender today. You know, while we, while we don't wear literal masks in church, we can wear figurative ones. Now, I can't tell you how many times growing up we had screaming argument fights before church and we were all late. But as soon as we walked through the door of the church building, oh, hey, how you doing? Oh, everything's great. If Jesus' emphasis on hypocrisy should show us anything, is that it is that hypocrisy only becomes the issue when we promote the wrong message. You see, these religious leaders, they put an emphasis on behavior and not on needing the grace of God to save them. Because we can't keep all the rules, it should show us that we desperately need God, not that we should just try harder next time. If we're being accused of hypocrisy, it's because we're not promoting grace. But it's understandable why we don't, right? We're extremely afraid of what Diedrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. 
cheat grace is one of the most horrible scenarios that I can possibly think of. It's, it's people taking advantage of God. Cheap grace is when you believe that now you're saved, you can live however you want. And we don't want people taking advantage of God's grace, so we promote our behavior. But listen, God is big enough to handle cheap grace. You don't have to protect God. God is capable of handling that himself. Now, I don't think we promote grace because we don't understand how it works. You know, I've been in church since I was eight days old. I've been in the ministry for ten years. I've literally heard about God's grace my whole life, and I still don't understand it. And the worst part is not that I just don't understand it, but it's the one thing I've really been trying to understand. And, you know, I don't think I'll ever understand how grace works. Just how far does grace go? Let's read what happens when we don't emphasize grace instead of uh, emphasizing our behaviors. It's, um, it's really interesting what, what we do and how we, how we justify ourselves. But let's read Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus said to some who were confident in their own righteousness, he, he looked, on, looked down on everybody else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple and to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now this passage describes the constant sin I find myself committing. I often look down on others for not being as godly as I am. I give non-believers an opportunity to accuse me of hypocrisy because I look up and thank God I'm not like them. Because, and I, and I, I should be beating my chest and crying out to God, God have mercy on me for I'm a sinner. I make hypocrisy an issue because when people listen to me and watch my attitude, I promote that I've got all the answers. And I inadvertently tell them that I'm a saint and they're sinners. I'm a new creation and they're the same old trash. Now I know this is hard, but we've got to find a way. We've got to find a way not to promote our behavior. And the only way that we can do that is through grace. When Paul was talking about being a new creation, he wasn't describing a person that no longer sinned. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Whenever you see this word in Scripture, therefore, it should immediately set off an alarm that this verse is building off an argument that is being made. So whenever you see the word therefore, you really need to go back and look and see in that verse what it is there for. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. See, Paul isn't talking about being a sinless creature. He's talking about not seeing people the same way. If anyone is in Christ then they get the inside track of what's really going on. They stop seeing the homosexual and start seeing a person broken. <laughs> a broken person, somebody who, who always struggles with homosexuality. 
They don't see an addict. They see a broken person who needs God to help them overcome their addiction. Christ wrecks our worldview. He shows us just how incredibly sinful we are. He shows us that we're not different from anyone else in the world. He shows us that grace transforms us to see others the way that he does. And when we arrogantly condemn others because we're not correctly remembering our past, that's not something that God exalts. We're not correctly seeing our present condition. Sin has broken the world. We have sinful bodies and sinful desires. And if we avoid them, it is because of the grace of God. It's not because of human effort. Where would we be without God? 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But Paul says, and that's what some of you were. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what he's done that you've been sanctified. Now notice that it never says anywhere, no, it says nowhere in this passage that these people never struggle with these temptations again. Notice it says, it never says that they never sinned again and they lived happily ever after. It never says these people who were doing these things never fell back into them needing help back out. You know, I've been off of drugs for 12 years. And for 12 years, I, I've avoided drug abuse, not because of my, I'm a new creation, but because I could never go back, and I could never go back. It's, it's because I don't trust myself. It's because God has wrecked my worldview. He's shown me the broken center that I am and how badly I need him to keep me off of drugs. In the book of Proverbs, Sol- Solomon tells his son to avoid the prostitute's house. He tells him, don't even go near the front door, because if he might, he might be tempted to go inside, and once he's inside, she's got him. The reason I'm not done drugs is because I don't trust myself. I know I'm a broken sinner and that I'm susceptible to falling right back into it. So I stay away from the front door of the drug house. If we have overcome sin in our lives, it's not because of our accomplishments. It's because of the grace of God. Who are we to condemn others for not discovering God's grace? You're not special. You would be just as lost without God's intervention. You're not a superhero. If you have matured, it is because God has been patient with you and he's worked in your life. You know, I think I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm beginning to understand how maturity in Christ, it's not linear. You don't go from discipleship 101 and move on to discipleship 202 and so on. Maturity in Christ isn't linear. I believe it's circular. To better, better clarify, I look at maturity in Christ kind of like a baseball diamond. For example, I've been trying to understand grace my whole life. I was raised being told, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that any man may boast. You see, in my immaturity in Christ, I blindly accepted this verse without trying to understand it. I started out at home plate. But then I began investigating and trying to understand how God's grace works and what kind of effect it's going to have on our life. And I believe I moved to first base. I had a first base and I said, you know, yeah, I have grace and it's all I need, but God wants to see something from me in response. But then I moved to second base. And I said, you cannot be saved unless you've given everything to God. It wasn't a message that emphasized grace, but rather put an emphasis on behavior now that we've received grace. And I want you to know, while I was at second base, I was as far away from I could, as I could get from home plate. 
And while standing in my second base conclusion, I was, I was as far away from surrendering to grace as I could get. But then I moved to third base because I accepted the fact that there are just some things that I don't understand. And now I feel like I've just come back home on this issue. Grace is all that saves us, and even if we don't surrender everything over, maybe we're still saved. Maybe being a follower of Jesus and being saved by Him are different. If this is the way that God has determined that salvation works, that it's not about anything I've done, but it's everything that He has done, who am I to argue with Him? I believe maturity teaches us to round the bases. When it comes to grace, I will probably round the base several more times. I believe I'm wiser now and more mature for rounding the bases. I get frustrated at myself and I look back and I see I'm standing at second base, but then where was I used to be standing? I used to be in the dugout, not even playing the game. Grace is a mystery and I think it will always be a mystery to me. But I believe I've discovered a little along the way that it helps me accept the things that I don't understand. I now know that there are some things that only God can do, some things that only I can do, and some things that only God and I can do together. I bet you already know this, but there isn't anybody that I pray for more than my two boys, Christian and Pete. I pray that God will give them spiritual sight, that God will reveal himself to them, and that they will come to know his grace and salvation. I, I, I lift them up, and I know this is something that only God can do. I can't be saved enough for them, and I can't say or do anything that's going to make this happen. God has to do it, and only He can. So I, I lift that up to Him because that's something only He can do. However, I know that only I could be their dad. While it's true that something could happen to me, and you know, Aaron could remarry, and have a good, they could have a good stepdad, but you know what? Only I can be their dad. It's what only I can do. And still, I know that they need a solid foundation to grow up hearing about Jesus and that they need, they need love and support to understand God's grace. That, that, that the way that they're going to look at God is, is going to be like the way that they look at me. And, and I fail them all the time, so how in the world can I teach them about a perfect God? I believe this is something that only God and I can do together. The same is true for our salvation. We can't save ourselves, only God can do that. But only we can surrender to Him. And only together can God, with us, move closer to being like Christ and mature. Are we hypocrites? You bet. But that's only because we promote behavior instead of grace. If we will promote grace, and only grace, I believe God will take care of behavior. I've seen him do it so many times in me. God's still doing it with me. Don't be a hypocrite and promote your behavior. Don't thank God that you're not like others. Instead, realize that you're just as lost as the world without him. Embrace and promote grace. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.